recently I discovered that I have a penchant for television courtroom dramas. I'm not judicious in my uh, selections. I like both fiction, um, all of the Law and Order series and their spin-offs. Um, I like the reality shows, the, the one that was on recently about O.J. Simpson um, and his trial. And in all of these shows that I watch, what I notice is that what drives the narrative drama is the question, often what drives it, is the question of guilt. Is the defendant really guilty or are they innocent? Has this person been wrongly accused or wrongly convicted? When we watch these shows, we watch them because we want to know the truth. We want justice to be done. And often I walk away from these shows feeling strongly convicted that justice wasn't done because the filmmakers are very good at producing an experience that is meant to leave me feeling convicted. To be convicted can mean a number of things. In a court of law, to be convicted is to be found guilty. And in an ideal world, when a person is convicted in a courtroom, they too themselves are convinced of their own error and admit the truth that they themselves are guilty. So conviction has taken on another meaning. To be convicted, as you know, is to have a strong persuasion or belief. When I am convicted, I am convinced that I know the truth. We are living in a time of very strong convictions. Everywhere we turn in this city, we run into others' convictions, whether we see them in the form of thousands of people marching or protest banners hung from cranes in downtown D.C. or people posting their strong convictions on social media. People are strongly convicted, and rightly so. And you are probably strongly convicted about something, perhaps lots of things, happening in our world right now. In this time of strong and often conflicting convictions, I think it's important to pause and reflect on how and why we are convicted and what that has to do with our faith. So to help us, let's turn to a literary courtroom drama, one that we discover in today's reading from the book of Micah. The plaintiff is Yahweh, God. The defendant is the nation of Israel. The judge is the earth itself, the mountains, the hills, the foundations of the earth, which will hear God's case against his people. God offers his argument, which is unlike any prosecutor's argument we're likely to hear in a courtroom. Instead of reciting everything the nation of Israel has done against God, he simply tells them how hurt he is by their actions. God asks, O oh my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? God reminds the people of all that he has done for them throughout the ages. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He stayed with them and performed miracles for them while they wandered in the wilderness. And finally, he led them across the Jordan River into the promised land. 
God has done all of these things for his people, and upon hearing God's complaint, a spokesman for the person of, a spokesman for the people of Israel immediately is convinced of Israel's wrongdoing. Convicted of his guilt, this spokesman does not defend Israel's actions. He jumps immediately instead to the terms of his sentence. The spokesman wants to know how he can atone for his actions, and he asks, what can I offer you to make up for my sins? And his response is almost comically exaggerated. Can I offer you thousands of rams or tens of thousands of rivers of oil? What about my own first child, my firstborn? If I sacrifice my child, will you forgive my transgression? And God, who at this point has taken on both the role of plaintiff and judge, God answers with an unlikely verdict, one that has echoed throughout the ages and serves as a powerful summary of all the prophets. God says, I don't want your things. I don't want your burnt offerings. I don't want your rams, and I certainly don't want you to sacrifice people, let alone your own child. What does the Lord require of you? I have already told you to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. The lawsuit that God brings before the people of Israel in the book of Micah and God's final verdict teaches us about what it means to be convicted as Christians. Conviction begins with an awareness of our own guilt. To be convicted is to recognize our complicity in the brokenness of creation and to remember that we are just as guilty in hurting our world as our fellow men and women. But conviction does not and cannot end with guilt. Guilt is important. Guilt us brings an awareness that as much as we would like to offer anything and everything to make up for our transgressions, we cannot make up our sin, for our sins through sacrifice. God doesn't want our stuff. In fact, we can't make up for our sins through any action of our own. We are truly convicted when we remember that we are guilty that we are in desperate need of saving by God, and that what that same God wants is us. St. Augustine wrote, You ask what you should offer. Offer yourself. For what else does the Lord seek of you but you? Because of all earthly creatures, he has made nothing better than you. He seeks yourself from yourself, because you have lost yourself. God wants you, and God wants me. God wants our whole selves. God wants us to walk with him humbly. The root of the word humble is hummus, ground. Brought low to the ground, convicted of our sin. God wants us to walk every day with him, living a life of conviction by acting justly 
and loving with loyalty and compassion. I've said it before and I'll say it again because the scriptures speak so clearly on this account. We cannot have love without justice and we cannot have justice without love. Perhaps at this time in our national life, you feel convicted to do justice. That is right and that is good. But consider this, in your conviction to, ask, to act justly, are you offering the same kind of loyal love that you have for your closest friends and your family? Are you offering that same kind of love to those that you desire to hold accountable in your quest for justice? Perhaps at this time in our national life, you can feel convicted to offer compassionate love. That is right. And that is good. But does that love take into account that there are unjust systems in place in our society that make some people's experiences vastly different from others? True conviction includes justice, compassionate love, and humility enacted and lived daily. It is the offering of our whole selves as they are, broken and sinful, not a sacrifice of our belongings, but of our own being. Now is an important time to ask ourselves, if we have not already, how are we convicted? In what ways are we guilty? How have we been seduced? by the principalities and powers of this world? How have we contributed to the brokenness of this world? And how does our guilt graciously, mercifully bring us to the ground so that we can, with conviction, walk humbly with God, enacting justice and love every step of the way. Amen.